0: The Mariners Cast presented to you by Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Gianassis. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJunior20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is September 28th, Thursday. The Mariners just finished up the pivotal three-game series against the Houston Astros. Mariners lost last night as most of you probably already know 8 to 3. That puts the Mariners at 85 and 73. They are now 4 games out of the American League West. The only shot the Mariners have of winning the AL West is to sweep the Rangers all 4 games at home starting tonight and to get some help from the Arizona Diamondbacks against the Houston Astros this weekend. Mariners are one and a half games behind Houston now for the third wild card. The Mariners do play one more game than Houston. And they are two games behind the Toronto Blue Jays, who host the Tampa Bay Rays at home. This game was brutal. Mariners still have a chance to make the playoffs. It's a slim one. They just have to go out and take care of business against the Rangers and hope for the best. Last night was brutal. Mariners lose 8-3. They surrender 14 hits. There were some good spots, some positives, certainly some negatives in this game. Mariners took a 1-0 lead uh, when J.P. Crawford led off against Framber Valdez with a big home run. Lots of momentum, lots of positive energy, super fun. Uh, Bryce Miller cruised through his first three innings and then imploded in the fourth to give up four runs. He... Surrendered a home run to Jordan Alvarez that was on a 96-mile-an-hour belt high fastball. You can't throw that to Alvarez. You're also talking about arguably the best hitter in baseball and for sure a top-five hitter in baseball. Jordan Alvarez is the man, and you can't throw that pitch to him. That was a mistake. He ties the game 1-1, and then Mauricio Dubon, of all people, hit – hits a three run home run in the same inning off of a hanging sweeper that was uh outer half and belt high. this pitch, you know I like the idea of Bryce Miller doing stuff other than throwing the four seam. He threw a sinker way inside to um, as the first pitch to Dubon, but this sweeper was just a hanger and it is part of the reason why you don't see him throw a ton of breaking balls as of yet. He's got a ton to work on in the offseason. Obviously it's his secondary stuff that he really needs to clean up and, and work on, but this was a big one and um a big place to hang the sweeper. I I guess hindsight is 2020, but I do wish that he would have stuck with what he does best against a, a hitter like DuBon. It's certainly not throwing sinker, sinker sweeper. Um that's not how Bryce Miller has made it to the majors. That's not why he's had success this year. So it's now four one Houston. The stadium is in many ways deflated. Mariners get two back in the bottom of the fourth on a uh two RBI single from a Eugenio Suarez. In that inning, Julio Rodriguez struck out, bases loaded, two two curveball. That was uh, low and in inside corner. That curveball from Valdez, even if you know it's coming, is really difficult to hit, but you expect your MVP candidate and Julio Rodriguez to do damage in that situation. Um and then, so the Mariners are down 4-3 uh, in the, I believe it was the sixth inning. Yes, in the sixth inning, as many of you have probably seen a video of, there was a confrontation between Hector Neris and Julio Rodriguez after Rodriguez struck out. Um, it's assumed that Neris called Julio Rodriguez uh, a very derogatory name in Spanish. It was clear the way the Astros reacted to Neris that they knew he was in the wrong. He basically walked straight up to Julio after um, Julio struck out. He did not head to the dugout. He headed straight towards Julio. That is not what you do. It's not what you do in baseball for someone like me who doesn't believe in all the unwritten rules and whatnot. You still don't walk straight up to a player and instigate in that way. Uh, Obviously, there's bad blood between these two teams. I believe Julio Rodriguez hit a big home run off, to, off of Hector Neres in the past. I think they're both represented by the same agency. They're both Dominican. Um, no one's really sure what motivated Neres to do it, but it was ugly. And uh, as much as I love confrontation and, and emotion and energy and expression uh, in sports, specifically in baseball, this there was no place for this. Uh, it was clearly not okay. Top seven, Alex Bregman, base hit to right field. Tail Hernandez just completely misplayed it. Uh, Ball goes to the wall. Uh, Single plus E9. Uh, At that particular point, you kind of knew this game was over. At this point, the Mariners were down 4-3, but you can't make mistakes like that in that kind of situation. Tail Hernandez had a horrible game. Uh, On top of that error, he went 0 for 5 with three strikeouts. Matt Brass came in, faced uh, Kyle Tucker with two outs, or two on in the seventh, and he threw him two sinkers. The first one was inside for a ball that called a ball that was actually a strike. The second one was low and outside, which Tucker hit for a double. Brass kind of came unraveled after that. I, again, asked the question, why is Matt Brass throwing sinkers? Um, he, yes, he had a runner on first. Yes, a double play would have gotten him out of the inning. But what does Matt Brash do well? What is in our minds when we think of Matt Brash and how dominant he's been at times as a reliever, what is it that he does? He strikes people out with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and a big, breaking, crazy slider, right? It's what he did to Jose Altuve in yesterday's game when I comped him to Mike Jackson on that slider. the 88-mile-an-hour slider that had Altuve basically bending out of the way, and it and it moved in for a strike. And that's who Matt Brash is. This was the second obvious instance of a Mariners pitcher not doing what they do best. And getting a burn for it. The Dubon home three-run home run was on a sweeper from, from Bryce Miller. That's not what Bryce Miller does best yet. The two-run double off of the bat of Kyle Tucker against Matt Brash was on a sinker. That's not what Matt Brash does best. I get trying to mix up the pitches and not throw as many four-seamers against Houston. I spoke a ton about it with Castillo and Kirby doing that and and Gilbert leading with the slider against them. But you're talking about the difference for George Kirby between his sinker and his fastball and the effectiveness of the two pitches is not extreme, right? He's great with his sinker as well, or two-seamer if you want to call it that. Luis Castillo's sinker was was considered his best pitch for a long time that and his changeup. Before he got to Seattle, he knows what he's doing with that. So to have those pitchers lead with something other than the four-seamer makes sense because of their skill set because of how great that secondary pitch is. But when Bryce Miller is giving up a 3-run home run on a sweeper, we all know he doesn't really he doesn't have great breaking pitches yet. He's got an incredible spin on a four-seamer, and he's working on everything else. I like the sinker because it maintains the velocity, and it's because it's playing off of the four-seamer so much. I think there's more room for error. But he gave up that three-run home run on a sweeper, and then for to see Brash do the same thing, I, I, I there's there's some process errors in my opinion with some of the pitch selection with the Mariners and some of the strategy. And those two hits alone are responsible for five runs. Top eight, Trent Thornton gives up a uh, big solo home run to Martin Maldonado on a hanging sweeper. Um, I only bring it up because I think if Thornton can't get right-handed hitters out, especially ones as poor as Martin Maldonado, you've got to wonder if he has a future with the Mariners. Bottom eight, two on, two outs. Julio Rodriguez strikes out on a slider from Ryan Presley. Uh, Dusty Baker brought in his closer with two outs in the eight. It shows you how important he realized this game was. Julio uh, choked. There's no way around it. 0 for 4 with a walk and four strikeouts in the biggest game of the year. Julio and Tail combined went 0 for 9 with seven strikeouts in this game. Those two players carried the Mariners the majority of this season, right? JP and Cal as well, but Julio and Teo were two of the, obviously Julio, but Teo as well. Big, big parts of this Mariners uh, season. And for them to go 0-9 with seven strikeouts in the biggest game of the year is, I don't know. The word, the word that I keep coming back to overall with last night's game is, is it's sad. Makes you sad. Might make you angry, might make you frustrated, but really it's sadness in the end. Oh for nine with seven strikeouts from those two. Kyle Raleigh one for five with a run. You know, also not great. JP Crawford was the one hitter on the Mariners who really came through. I guess Suarez too, one Suarez was one for two with two RBIs and three walks. JP Crawford one for two with that big solo home run to lead off the game and three walks. JP did his job. So the Mariners lose 8-3. Really disappointing loss. They're going to have to play. They're going to have to win against Texas. There's just no no way around it. You've got to go one game at a time. You've got to just keep winning against Texas. We know Texas is tough. Um, This is your only shot at making the playoffs now. I want to touch on a couple of things uh, for the remainder of today's Mariners cast. Uh, I want to talk about some of the criticism of Scott's service and the lineup for last night's game. I want to dig into that a bit. And I want to talk a little bit about how some of the other contenders are built. We will dig a lot more into this in the off season, but it bears mentioning today after yesterday's game, because of some of the comments that I saw about the Mariners and how they spend money and how they construct their roster and how they construct their lineups. So One quick call out, attendance last night was 38,019. Capacity at T-Mobile is 47,929. That's 79% of the stadium was filled. I live in Eastern Washington. If my work would have allowed, I would have been there. But in my mind, from a fan standpoint, it is inexcusable that we didn't have that stadium filled. This was the biggest game of the year. The Mariners had to have this game. Do we consider ourselves a baseball town? Weather wasn't horrible. And you couldn't fill the stadium. That's depressing to me, right? And things like this, at times, if you have comparable money and you're going after free agents and things, Stuff like this can matter, right? At times, stuff like this can matter. It, sometimes it can be a tiebreaker in a situation. Do you have you know, knowledgeable, intense, fire-breathing fans? St. Louis is a fun place for players to play because the St. Louis fans are knowledgeable and crazy and they sell out. Chicago Cubs, Northside, same thing, right? Fun place to play. Electric atmosphere. Putting on that uniform and being in a stadium and being a part of a community is something that matters if the money is comparable and sometimes matters even if the money is not comparable. So to not sell out last night in such a pivotal game is disappointing to me. I was surprised to see that number. That can't happen. That can't happen. If I still lived in Seattle, I would be there. It's, I don't know. Maybe those Mariners fans that you hear from all the time are are just very vocal and loud, but I would have expected uh, in a big city like Seattle for that game to be sold out, period, plain and simple. Uh, so I want to address first. There's a lot of criticism about the Mariners lineup last night. Twitter went off the minute the lineup came out. You had Dylan Moore hitting in the five hole behind Teoscar Hernandez. He's playing left field. No Jared Kelnick in the lineup. This is against a left-hander in Framber Valdez. No Jared Kelnick in the lineup. Dylan Moore hit fifth. Sam Haggerty hit eighth as the DH. People were critical saying, you know, what kind of team plays Sam Haggerty at DH in in uh, at a, in a pivotal important game. Jose Caballero hit ninth at second base. Not as much criticism about Caballero playing, but people were up in arms. People were acting like Scott Service had no idea what he was doing. People wondered if the lineups were made out by the front office. like, And people were mostly mad about Jerry Kelnick not being in the lineup. If you don't know, Dylan Moore is a right-handed hitter. Sam Haggerty is a switch hitter. Jose Caballero is a right-handed hitter. And Kelnick obviously hits left-handed. So here's my thing. And I I am admittedly pretty numbers-oriented. Um, I believed in platoon splits for a long time and platoon platoon players. Dylan Moore went one for two. Sam Haggerty went one for one with a walk. Both of these until they were pinch hit four. Jose Caballero went 0 for two with a run. Jared Kelnick did end up getting three at-bats, one for three with two Ks. More Haggerty, Caballero did not play poorly. They were not, and not playing Jared Kelnick was not the reason for the Mariners losing. Do you, as a fan, as a casual or semi-casual fan, I'm going to put myself in that bucket as well. I'm not employed by the Mariners. I don't pretend to know more than the Mariners. I like numbers. I spend a lot of time with baseball. But do you really think that you or me know better and know how to build a lineup better and build an organization better than Scott Service, Jerry Depoto, and the rest of this organization? Do you really think that? This is these guys' lives. This is what they do for a living. Now, I get being critical of the Mariners if you thought that, you know, they were, There are some organizations, the Rockies, at times the Royals, who don't take advantage of all of the resources and the data that's out there, right? If this was one of those organizations and they were just kind of heads buried in the sand and not getting with the times, not using data, that sort of thing, and you were critical of their lineup construction because they didn't use all the tools, then fine. And even then, I would say they work in baseball, we don't. But the Mariners of all teams mix analytics with scouts. And you can see that in the the player acquisition. You can see that in the type of players they have on the team. There are some players that don't fit a mathematical model very well or a numerical model very well. And there are some players who really, truly do. Mike Ford does not look like a baseball player, but his numbers say he is a strong side platoon DH or first baseman. Not a scout's dream, Mike Ford, right? Teo Hernandez looks like a baseball player, has the athletic explosive, explosiveness, maybe not now, but even a couple years ago, good athlete, fast, strong, good arm, right? But didn't take a ton of walks and is not necessarily the, the stat head's the, you know, the data head dream. He's on this team. Those three guys, Dylan Moore, Sam Haggerty, Jose Caballero, they're not my favorite Mariners. I think that at least one, maybe two of them, we can improve upon in the offseason to really help strengthen that bench. But I like them in this situation against a left-handed pitcher. Caballero on the season is hitting 263. With a 397 on base percentage and a 760 OPS against lefties. You start that player. That is a 400 on base percentage against lefties. That's basically JP Crawford versus JP Crawford overall with a little less power. He also plays an elite second base and is a very fast, very good base runner. Dylan Moore. This season, 221-302-494 slug against lefties, a 796 OPS against lefties this season. Dylan Moore for his career, 751 OPS against lefties. But he can't hit righties. If you're going to play Dylan Moore, if he's going to be on the roster, you're going to play him against left-handers. The Mariners, for whatever reason, really like Dylan Moore. I don't love him as a player. I don't think he's clutch. I don't like, not that clutch is a skill, but... He hasn't come up big in big situations often. I think you can do better than Dylan Moore, but they signed him to a three-year contract. He is an 800 OPS hitter against lefties this season. I don't have a problem playing Dylan Moore against left-hander. Sam Haggerty, 286 hitter, 364 on base percentage against lefties this season. 2022? 364 average, 449 on base percentage, 652 slug, and a 1.100 OPS against lefties in 2022. It is clear Sam Haggerty is a better player against left-handed pitching. He should be in the lineup. And while Jared Kelnick has hit 265 this season against lefties, for his career, he is a 190 hitter against lefties With a 570 OPS. He also has been injured. Houston also has. I believe one. Left-handed reliever. So. You knew. That Jared Kelnick was going to hit eventually. In this game. He was going to play. And it just depended on how long. Framber Valdez. Stayed in the game. Because eventually, you were going to see relievers potentially early in this game, which you did in the fifth, and you knew you would use Jared Kelnick in that situation, probably for either Dylan Moore or Sam Haggerty. Probably going to be Kelnick for for Moore and left, and then Ford for Haggerty or Canzone for Haggerty at DH. Bennett Souza, for any of you who know who he is, is the only left-handed reliever in that bullpen. And Framber Valdez is the only left-handed starter in their rotation. So Bennett Souza was the only left-handed pitcher the Mariners could potentially see once Valdez came out. And Scott Service said said as much when he was asked about the lineup. He said, look, we know we're going to face a bunch of right-handed relievers. That's what they have in their bullpen. Jared Kelnick will play. And Moore and Haggerty produced. Moore was one for two, Haggerty one for one with a walk. Like, that's not the issue with this team. Starting Dylan Moore, Caballero, and Haggerty in this situation instead of Jarek Helnick was not the issue with this team. The issue was in this particular game was Julio and Teo screwing the pooch, 0 for 9 with seven strikeouts, and Bryce Miller basically one mistake pitch to Mauricio Dubon. I'm going to excuse him for the Alvarez homework because you are on Alvarez. That was this game, right? Now, when we talk about the offseason, you know, should the Mariners have a better option than Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty? Probably. Then Jose Caballero, maybe. I think you can have one of Haggerty and Moore, but not both on this roster. I think that would be smart. I think you'll see Ryan Bliss instead of Jose Caballero or with Jose Caballero, but you need a little more. I think you need a little more, a little better hitter than more Haggerty. But this is what we had to work with, and so the lineup choice for last night's game, I think, was the right one. If you know Kelnick struggles against lefties for his career. Valdez doesn't have big platoon splits, but, you know, there could there's also things about the way. So Kelnick is a dead red fastball hitter. We all know that. He's been able to hit the breaking ball a little better this season as of late, but he is a dead red fastball hitter. Guess what Framber Valdez doesn't throw? A four-seamer. I just, that's not the thing to be critical about. They were fine. I think people just want to be angry with the front office because the team hasn't succeeded in the way that the fans want. So you want to find any little thing. Well, you mean is going to hit fifth? Yeah, Dillamore's hitting fifth. Would I hit him fifth? Maybe not. But who are my choices? Ty France hitting fifth instead? Heck no. Cal Raleigh? Cal Raleigh's better against right-handers. You could ask the question, why wasn't Luis Torrens playing? I might have played him, right? There's a lot of things the Mariners could have done in this game. Changing the lineup, changing who was in the lineup is not one of them, in my opinion. We don't know better than Jerry DePoto and Scott Service. I'm sorry. Those guys are smart. Those guys use analytics. They also use scouts. Like, they're, they're the perfect blend of those two things. Trust them. Now, is there a talent gap? With the Mariners, right? Do the Mariners need to get more talented offensively? Yes, absolutely they do. Ty France in the bottom of the first. He saw this was with runners on, the runners on first and third. This is Ty France against a left handed pitcher, which is supposedly what he hits best. He saw a curveball that was up, that was a called strike. He saw a sinker on the inner half and belt high that he hit foul, and he swung and missed over a curveball low and inside for strike three. He saw three pitches that were in the zone with runners on first and third against a left handed pitcher in the biggest game of the year, and he struck out. Three pitches in the zone. This wasn't wasting an 0 2 pitch. This wasn't like, you know, Framber Valdez dotting the upper outside corner with the 100-mile-an-hour fastball. These were pitches he could hit. A curveball up, a sinker on the inner half that was belt high. Like, I'm done with him. From a talent standpoint, they can do so much better than him at first base. The bench needs help. We've talked about it. Second base, third base, potentially. Certainly corner outfield. The Mariners need to do better. There's a talent gap there. But the question is, how do you do it? And I, I will talk so much more about this in the offseason. And everybody wants to bring up the Rangers, right? Rangers signed Simeon. Rangers signed Seager. Now look at the Rangers. They're great. Yes. Is, are Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon really good? Absolutely. They spent, what, five six $600 million on those two? Something like that? To me, that's not the way to build a winner, right? You look at their roster. You look at their lineup currently, and you have two players that were drafted, Josh Young and Evan Carter. Young was drafted in the first round in 19, Carter in the second round in 2020. Laoti Tavares was an international signee. Garver and Heim were trades. Adoles Garcia was bought from the St. Louis Cardinals. Nathaniel Lowe was a trade. And then he had the two big free agents. They bought this team. But this team doesn't have the same sort of staying power either, I don't believe. And they also got career years from a lot of guys. Josh Young has holes in his back. Major League pitchers are going to find those. Jonah Heim had the best year of his career. Mitch Garver had probably the best OPS year of his career. Evan Carter is probably the one player besides the free agents that you can really count on. Adolis Garcia has been consistent. But my point is they built this team with investing $500-plus million in those two positions. That's what they had to do because they didn't have the farm system to support it. Pitching-wise, they had to go out and trade for Jordan Montgomery and mortgage some of the farm to get him. You signed Ivaldi as a free agent. Obviously, you signed Degrom to the big free agent risky contract. They traded assets for Scherzer. They're not building from within, and this team is not built to last. This team is built to win right now, and that's it. Montgomery is 31. I believe he's going to be a free agent. Ivaldi, who they signed to a free agent contract, is almost 30. Is 33, going on 34. John Gray is almost 34 years or 32 years old. We all know Scherzer is 39. DeGrom is 35 on a huge contract. Like, this is not the way to build a team. Were they successful this particular year? Yes. But they're going to be lucky to be healthy any year moving forward. And the building blocks, even for their offense, are on the older side. The only guy under 25 in that offense is Evan Carter. Even Josh Young is an old rookie. That's not the way to build a sustained winner. They'll have success this year. Obviously, they're making the playoffs in all likelihood. But this is not a a team that is set up to to succeed over time. And it's the team that every critical Mariners fan wants to point to. How come we couldn't sign Simeon? How come we couldn't sign Seager? That is not the way to build a successful team. And the owners aren't that way. Get it through your thick skull. The owners don't do that here. Now, I took two other what I consider to be model franchises, the Dodgers and the Braves, and I looked at them too. And you look at the Dodgers and a lot of what they built was development it was player development it was drafting it was also finding players off the scrap heap that they were able to rehabilitate the two big players that they didn't acquire that way were Mookie Betts and I think the Mookie Betts trade with Boston for Alex Verdugo and pieces is a complete one-off I don't think you can look at that trade and say that's the way the Mariners should do it the Dodgers just got incredibly lucky with that trade because Boston didn't want to pay bets. Period. That was That's a one-off. You can't. That trade's not ever happening again. Bill Simmons still talks about the Mookie Betts trade ad nauseum. I'm putting that one off to the side. That's like the kind of trade where someone, before they even get the sentence out of their mouth, you say yes. And it was obvious from day one. Freddie Freeman was another uh, like kind of capitalized opportunity for the Dodgers, right? They weren't even involved in the conversations as much about trying to sign Freddie Freeman away from the Braves because it was a foregone conclusion that the Braves were going to re-sign him. And then communication broke down between Freeman and the Braves and he took the deal with the Dodgers. And it was clear. He made it clear that he didn't want to do it at first. So the Dodgers capitalized on a situation Instead of spending top dollar, they capitalized on a situation that they saw and signed Freeman, and they signed the best offensive first baseman in the game, basically. Will Smith, three-hole hitting catcher, drafted in the first round. Max Muncy, third baseman, like rehabilitated free agent from Oakland, just a minor leaguer, basically. J.D. Martinez, they signed off the scrap, scrap heap. Any team could have signed J.D. Martinez this year. He hit pretty well. David Peralta was a scrap heap free agent from Tampa. Jason Hayward, scrap heap free agent from the Cubs. Nobody really wanted. Miguel Rojas, they traded Jacob Amaya, a you know utility infield minor league prospect to the, to the Marlins for Rojas before the season started when they realized that Gavin Lux, who was a first-round pick and supposed to be their starting shortstop, was out for the year. James Outman was a seventh-round draft pick. So. Outside of Betts and Freeman, Betts, that was a one off trade. Freeman was uh, capitalizing on a bad situation. They basically got players off the scrap heap drafted them. Look at their pitching. Kershaw, first round pick in 06. Pepio, third round pick in 19. Bobby Miller, first round pick in 20. On the injured list, Walker Bueller, first round pick in 15. Tony Gonsolin, ninth round pick in 16. Dustin May, third round pick in 16. Draft picks. Developed from within. Look at their pitching staff. Do you see a big free agent signing on their pitching staff? Ryan Brazier they got from Boston because he got cut, basically. That's it. Traded for a couple of guys here and there. Traded for Lance Lynn at the deadline this year. Traded some B-level prospects for him. Nick Nastrini. I like Nick Nastrini as a prospect, but they got Lance Lynn. The Dodgers build from within and they take guys off the scrap heap and rehabilitate them. And then they went out and signed Freeman at an opportune time. And they made the the infamous trade for Mookie Betts, which is a complete one-off. It's what the Mariners, they're trying to do in many ways. The Braves, international signing, Ronald Acuna, International signing, Ozzy Alby's. first round pick, Austin Riley, made the trade for for Matt Olson, which was obviously incredibly smart, and gave up a bunch of prospects to do it, but they did it because they couldn't re-sign Freeman. Marcel Ozuna, controversial free agent signing in 2020, not to huge money. Michael Harris, third round draft pick in 19, promoted to the big leagues really early. Sean Murphy was that Wilson or that uh, William Contreras trade. Eddie Rosario traded with Cleveland in 21. Orlando Arcia traded with Milwaukee in 2021. Where's the big free agent signing there? They invested in their players that they already had, like a Julio Rodriguez, like a J.P. Crawford, like the Mariners will do with Cal Raleigh, like they will do with Jared Kelnick if he proves worthy, like they will with George Kirby, like they will with Logan Gilbert. They invested in the players that they had and they developed to get this team that they have now. Did they get great contracts with Acuna and, and Albies and to a certain extent, Riley should, sure. and with Harris too, but that's smart and they're building from within. They're not going out and spending $600 million on a free agent to make their team better. They're not trying to put a band aid on a situation that's not going to last. And the Braves are here to stay. The Braves are going to compete for years and years and years. Dodgers are the same thing. They're going to compete for years and years. The Rangers are not because they're older. Marcus Simeon is 33. Pitching staff for the Braves. Strider, fourth-round pick in 20. Bryce Elder, fifth-round pick in 20. A.J. Smith-Shauver, seventh-round pick in 21. Even Alan Winans, who's one of their starters right now, kind of a junk baller right-hander, 28 years old, Rule five pick from the Mets. Now, their bullpen they put together with some, you know, and Iglesias trade, Brad Hand was a trade, Joe Jimenez was a trade, Pierce Johnson was a trade. But you don't see any high, high price free agents on that team at all. You don't see high price free agents. The only one you can really find would be Charlie Morton, who they signed from Tampa, who probably gave them a hometown discount because that's the team he came up with. So to say that the Mariners' lack of big, splashy free agent signings is the reason why they're not good, there are multiple ways to build a team. Do I want to see them sign Shohei Otani? Absolutely, I do. Would I like to see them sign Blake Snell this year? Absolutely, I would. Is it going to be expensive to do that? For sure. Yes, 100%. But that's not the way to sustain success. You sustain success by having a baseline of young players that were built in the system, that you drafted, that were international signings, and you build from within and you reward the guys who you believe in with contracts like Julio's contract or Acuna's contract or Albi's contract, and you supplement. And when the time is right, which I believe is this offseason, you make a big jump, right? You sign a Freddie Freeman like the Dodgers did. or you make a trade like the the Braves did for a Matt Olsen or a Sean Murphy. Now, if the Mariners come out of this offseason without having made a deal like that, then I think we're critical. Then we talk about it. But the Mariners did that to a certain extent with Teoscar Hernandez. He's not Olson, right? But he's better than Murphy. He's better than Jason Hayward. He's better than J.D. Martinez. Because there's defensive value as well, right? So the Mariners are doing similar things. You've got these scrap heap guys on both teams. David Peralta, that's what Mike Ford is. The Mariners are doing the right thing. It's going to take time. And they've got a huge wave of prospects on the way that are going to help supplement this team. And they're going to come quick. And I'm not talking about fourth outfielder types. I'm not talking about backup catcher types. I'm not talking about back of the rotation starter types. I'm talking about real deal talent contributors. Tyler Locklear, I think, will compete for a roster spot. Jonathan Classe will compete for the third and fourth outfielder spot. Prelaunder Baroa will compete for a bullpen spot and a high leverage one potentially. We may see Ty Adcock again. We're going to see Harry Ford soon, probably either end of next year or the year after. Gabriel Gonzalez, Cole Young, and then all the guys in Modesto. This is, the are in such an incredible spot. You've got money to spend. You've got a very good farm system at this point in time. Your pitching staff is the envy of all of baseball. You've got a perennial MVP candidate, in Julio Rodriguez. Do they need to do better? Yes. Do they need to supplement this roster? Yes. But the, the decision to start Sam Haggerty, Dylan Moore, and Jose Caballero yesterday is not the reason why they lost. And again, I say this over and over again, I'll continue to say it through the offseason. If you don't think this front office is doing a good job or a great job. Then you weren't around for Jack Sorensic. And you weren't around for the bad Felix Hernandez years. And you certainly weren't around in the 80s in the kingdom to watch these horrendous Mariners teams. And you weren't here in 95, at the beginning of 95, when you thought your baseball team was being moved to Tampa Bay, like the Sonics were to Oklahoma City. You want to talk, talk about heartbreak? Last night's not heartbreak. Heartbreak is losing your franchise to another city because your owners and your management are that bad. So you can miss me with this whole Jerry DePoto is horrible and Scott Service doesn't know what he's doing and what's up with the lineup. The lineup's fine. They need better talent, yes, but the lineup is fine. And those guys are smart. And I'll be sitting here next year when the Mariners win the AL West and Texas has two injuries and they're barely 500 because they're old. Thank you for listening to today's Mariners cast. Once again, we are presented by Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20, that's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0, and the podcast at Ethos, Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-O. S, I will be back tomorrow to talk about game one of this four-game series against Texas. It is Jordan Jordan Montgomery against Logan Gilbert tonight. I have gone over both of them at length at various times on the Mariners cast. You just got to hope for a Mariners win. Enjoy the game, y'all. Uh, last four games of the season. Savor them. I certainly will. Take care, y'all. Talk to you tomorrow.